Hello and welcome to another episode of Brothers Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we have an interesting interview with Taryn Gazelle. He is a triathlete. Uh, he's done all different kinds of things. He's a coach. He's an author. He's a YouTuber. Uh, he also is a podcaster uh, and a businessman. And we talked to him about uh, the endurance athlete, endurance sports sports. Uh, he talks to us about how he swam 27 miles in one event. He said he you know, started off doing smaller sprints and then eventually did different you know, Olympic distance races and then Ironman distance races uh, and how he you know, developed mental toughness as well as the training that goes into that. And then we talk about some of the, the nuances about what happens during those races and some of the interesting things that he pulled back the curtain for, for us a little bit and showed us some of the, uh, the things you might not know about uh, in, that happens in these races. So it was very interesting, uh, also very motivational. After this episode, you'll probably want to go out and uh, buy that bicycle and uh, get a membership at the YMCA so you can start swimming to get to go into the do your own triathlon. So it was very good. All right, let's get into it. Let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right, Taryn Gazelle, thank you for uh, taking your time to meet with us today. Taryn, you are an, an endurance athlete, a trainer, a, a YouTuber, a podcaster, a businessman. You, you've got your fingers in a, in a lot of different pots uh, here, and, and we're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. Thanks. I'm excited to do this. Like We did our podcast for about two and a half years with my wife and I as co-hosts. And uh, I have never been on somebody else's podcast where there are two co-hosts. <laughs> I want to see what all the fuss is about. Oh yeah. Well, we're we're glad to be your first. How about that? Yes. Well, well, let me let me tell you. Uh, we Ethan and I um, earlier this year we uh, were ch- were challenged by one of our listeners to do a kind of a it was like a a Spartan type run. Uh, it was called the, the bullfrog, but bone frog, bone frog. Yeah, it actually wasn't that great, but uh, it, it was about six miles. And uh, Ethan and I have both just barely gotten over COVID, and uh, we, we ran the race. And uh, Ethan did it a little bit better than I did, but I almost died. I felt like because I was just totally exhausted, and I was like, "Man, we need to have someone on who knows what they're talking about." So we can prepare better for the next one. <laughs> so you called Ben Greenfield, and he was busy, and then you got to me. No, you so, are you are our first call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And then Ben was after. Cool. <laughs> so I uh, and and that was something that Jared and I did that we really enjoyed. And uh, I, I've kind of I got the the triathlon bug uh, kind of through through COVID, and and I haven't done it yet, but I, I went as far as I. I, I, got, I got a secondhand bike and uh, I've got some of the, the, the gear, the equipment that you need and different things like that. And, and kind of started timing myself on some different things that I, um, you know, some, some of the different um, legs of the race and different things like that. And so I had been following you and your uh, YouTube and, and podcast, just learning as much as I could and just soaking up as much as I could. And I was like, hey, let's reach out to Taryn. Let's see if we can't get some some professional advice. <laughs> Uh, that's an esteemed word. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, 
I think the great, the best place to start is just how did you get into doing doing all this? When did you start getting into endurance sports? I got into it. It was about twelve years ago now, and I was like everyone else. Like I didn't own a bike. I couldn't swim. I'd just gone through the don't drown levels one through seven as a kid. I couldn't run. Literally couldn't run to the end of the block. But I was trying to be a healthier version of myself and throwing around weights in a gym and thinking I was going to diet like a bodybuilder. And that's what I thought healthy was, but it ended up really banging me up, throwing all those weights around. I tore something in my shoulder one time so bad that I couldn't lift any weights. And I decided just to walk on a treadmill one day because I had to do something. And then I got bored with that. So I intermixed walk on a treadmill one day, bike on the stationary bike the next day. And then that got boring. And then I looked over at the pool and started going between treadmill, stationary bike, pool. And I was just total crap at all of them. But after a couple of weeks, I went, this is kind of interesting because every time I start, I don't know really how the workout's going to go. And that little bit of fear and anxiousness is what felt really exciting to me. Because there are very few times in your life that you're actually presented with a challenge that you don't know if you're going to be able to actually accomplish it. And lifting weights didn't do that for me. Work didn't really do that for me. But triathlon, and I didn't really know I was going to be a triathlete, but endurance sports did that for me. And after my first race, which was like as bad as it could go, um, felt awful for every 43 minutes of it. It was still really exciting. So I was hooked right from that first race. Was, that was the first one just a sprint? Even shorter. It was like a half a sprint. It was oh, a yeah? try a try. So it was a 300 meter swim and a 13K bike and a 3K run, which I look at now as barely even a warm up. Yeah. And I remember the night before the race, I was out at a function saying, oh, I've got to go home early. I've got a triathlon in the morning. And people went, whoa, a triathlon? No way. Tell me how long it is. And I went, get this, a 300-meter swim. And people were like, no way. (laughs) And I'm like, I know. I'm superhuman, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, And that's the thing that I really believe with everyone out there, whether it's a 6K Spartan race or the Beast or a hundred mile race or a sprint triathlon, Mm -hmm. like it's scary to all of us and it's intimidating to all of us and it's challenging to all of us. So I really don't care how far people are going as long as they're getting that little bit of butterflies when they come up to the start line and, and they're pushing themselves into a point that is a little bit exciting and scary and and daring. Like that's where we find out what we're made of. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like before the big game, you know, I, I played sports all through high school and, and stuff and had different races or sports, different things. You get to the, you get to the right before the game. You're like, Oh, I can go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Like, that's like, yeah. yeah. You get this, like you just get nervous and that, that, that excitement, right? I mean, not the whole going to the bathroom part, but just the excitement of it is just exciting in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, I, I always say the nervous peas, they're the best. <laughs> and I was a, a competitive curler in my, my younger days up until about five, six years ago. And even that, when I got to being like world ranked and curling in the biggest events in the world that were on TV, I didn't get the nervous peaks 
because like you've gone through it so many times that if you're still nervous coming into that game, it's probably not a good thing, but endurance sports is kind of one of those things that you can be nervous. And sort of the point is to be nervous. So it was more fulfilling. Like I was ditching out on curling practice to go and go for a run or a bike because it always had that aspect of like giving me a nervous pee like yeah I, yeah <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking yeah, about i think everybody I'm knows hopeful. well i hope that everybody knows that feeling just because it's a cool feeling it's like you're it's it, you, you put yourself a little bit out of that comfort zone and you know that comfort zone of whether it's sitting on the couch or in front of the computer or you know or even just not doing physical activity it's just like you kind of going into something you're like this is going to be hard and I'm going to, I'm going to have to push myself and it's exciting. What was that in the movie Creed? Uh, he's like about to go out to the fight. I think this is the first movie and he's like, take my gloves off. And they're like, why? And he's like, I got to take a crab. Yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> take my gloves off. Yeah. I haven't had to take a nervous crap. But nervous for sure. Uh, yeah. Like the, the barometer that I really like to set for people with things like this is like set a goal that you think you've got maybe a 50, 50 shot of actually doing it. And that's going to motivate the hell out of you to actually try to train for it. And then maybe by the time you get to the race, it's more like, like 90, 10, but still in your brain, it's 50, 50. And that 50, 50 feeling when you accomplish the 50, 50 part on the good side and actually hit that accomplishment, like, man, does it feel good. So that's I find it interesting that you went from curling, which is I feel like is such a delicate sport, and and that like there's so many little nuances and how far you push the you know. I like the hand as, motion. As, as, gotta, that's how you you gotta got be it. so soft. And then, well, actually, you're going then you're going down and squeegeeing then like crazy, right? But yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, I feel like that's totally different than than the endurance sports that uh, you decided to go into, uh, or, or do you well, feel like it's pretty similar? It was similar in the sense that curling taught me how to be good at something. Mm -hmm. And that something was really anything. Um, when I was about 13, 14 or so, I wasn't really a very good curler. I was kind of okay in the local junior league that I was in, but I wasn't good. And I ended up working at a curling club, just cleaning the ice. And whenever there was a sheet to open, I would go and practice. And I got pretty good pretty quickly. And it taught me that you can actually progress at something that maybe you're not naturally good at if you go about, um, well, I guess now what's called deliberate practice, that word didn't exist back then, but having deliberate practice and a structure for how you actually get from where you are to where you want to be is relatively easy as long as you can just get yourself to show up to all the practice and the hard work. But if you can do that, if you can figure out the path between where you are now and where you want to be, you just need to walk it. And I was able to apply that to business, to business school, to becoming a world ranked curler, um, to moving up from sprint triathlon to marathon swims and Ironman distance races. Like it's all just putting together those breadcrumbs. So it was similar in that regard, but you're exactly right. It was like in curling, you are trained to be calm. Whereas calm doesn't really play a big role in endurance sports. Hmm. Like you might look calm on the outside, but on the inside, you're 
feeling like your eyes are bleeding. <laughs> like, why am I doing this every step? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the start to the finish. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I, I really like that. And it's kind of like those, you, you were talking about those baby steps and kind of moving up and, and starting somewhere and training maybe, uh, when you're training for a specific distance or, or whether it's a sprint or, or an Olympic a triathlon in, in this case, um, you just got to get out and do it. Just put forth the effort and just try it. And I, my, uh, I had a, a friend who wanted to do a triathlon and just felt like, Oh, you know, I just get, just get into it. And I think it was an Olympic, um, a distance triathlon and, and got into it and maybe pushed it a little too hard in the swim which is what you do first and got out there and was trying to keep up with the leader of the pack had never done it. Didn't really train for it at all. And then they got out of the swim and it was probably, um, you know, it wasn't even, I had to, he, maybe on the bike, like a mile. And then he just, he was like, I'm done. Like, I can't go any further. It was just like, it was like, I, I literally, I mean, just like heart attack on the side of the road. It's just like, I did not know that. And swimming wasn't his, Forte, and I think is just maybe didn't train right or push too hard at the beginning. What and, and really, kind of for me personally, my goal is that I want to do an uh, in, in Olympic uh, distance triathlon, but maybe I should start with a sprint, which is significantly less than that. But what would your advice be to somebody like like me or listeners out there that want to get into triathlons or, or specifically, or maybe even just endurance sports? What would your be What would your advice be to them? Well, the first thing is literally just to start. And it's a real asshole thing to say, but somebody told me when I was doing that treadmill to the stationary bike, to the pool, he was in university with me and I knew that he was some really good triathlete. I didn't really realize at the time that he was like top 50 in the world for under 21. And I asked him, well, what do we, what do you do for triathlon? How do you, how can you do it? And he's like, well, yeah enter you sign up you, you, you sign yeah. up that's <laughs> yeah and i'm like well no like i've got so many questions like dude everyone does like the first one isn't going to be good they're they're probably not going to be good for three four years but if you want to do it go in and try so that is the biggest thing to understand is that it's scary it's gonna suck swimming isn't gonna feel good Everyone thinks, well, I got the bike figured out because I biked everywhere as a kid. No, you don't. <laughs> like it, it takes a long time to develop those hard callous legs and running sucks for a few months until your body figures out that it's not going to die when you go running. But if you really do want to do it, just keep going through that. Now, if we're going to get a little bit more specific, it's to in the swim don't worry about speed. Don't worry about actual swimming. Just worry about getting comfortable in the water and not freaking out on the bike. Just go easy enough that you can go for a long time and gradually push how long you go every single week. And then with the run, keep the intensity super low. Maybe it's a hike. Maybe it's a really low intensity, like easy conversational kind of pace sort of effort. What happens with most people is they go into the swim and they thrash around, they sink, they lose their breath and they fight the water. What happens in the bike is they think, oh, I've got to go super fast and they're not going a low enough intensity to actually build endurance. And then what happens on the run is they go too hard and then get injured and feel like crap. So it's really just to ease into it and develop the ability to actually 
do the task comfortably and you do that at mostly low intensities just chilling the hell out and it's going to be a lot more enjoyable and you're going to have less of those moments of like oh my god this feels like crap how can i do it i uh i think jared can probably agree with this too but um when I first started listening to some of your stuff and, and wanted to uh, kind of get into the triathlon, like you, you're 100% correct. You kind of get like analysis paralysis and you're like, oh, I need to learn as much as I can before I do anything. And then my wife is like, just sign up for one and then you paid for it and then you're going to have to do it because you paid, like you did <laughs> yeah. it. I was like, okay. Um, but it, it's interesting because some people like you think, oh, endurance and you're like, I'm going to go out for a run. And Previously, my idea of going out for a run was well, I'm going to go and I'm going to run a mile as fast as I can. Like that's my that's my run, right? And so I want to run out and I'm going to push it and I'm going to run like a seven minute mile and I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just completely dead exhausted and I'm like, man, that was a good workout. And and it always just killed me. I was like, I did, I just I felt completely exhausted. I didn't feel like I got that much out of it. And so I was like, well, I had listened to some of your stuff and learned about kind of this like zone training, right? Heart rate zone training yeah. where you kind of want, you know, one, two in, in, in the different zones and how that kind of really endurance training and, and where you build that endurance is in that zone two, which is a, a lower heart rate zone. And you're just going yeah. slow. And, and I really tried to start implementing that. And then I would get... Uh, you know, three miles into a run, maybe four miles into a run. And I would feel completely fine, like breathing wise and cardiovascular wise. But then my legs would hurt so bad that it's just like, really? yeah, it's just like, I, I, I was like, I could keep going like with my breath. I'm not that tired, but just like my feet hurt. My legs hurt. I feel like I have bricks. Oh, in, okay. I was like, so I, like, I was like, I feel like I have bricks in my shoes. My legs just hurt. I don't know if you oh, have you ever like heard anything. Yeah, I mean, it's not not, okay. not really that I have like bad knees or bad ankles or anything like that, but it's just like I just feel like I was like I literally can't go anymore because I feel like my legs weigh fifty pounds each. Maybe it's because you're running wrong. Maybe I, I saw something. I rec- would, go ahead. I would say it's probably because most people don't even walk three miles a day. <laughs> yeah, and here you are putting seven times your body weight into your feet. It's a new thing, and like it it's going to feel like shit. Um, it was probably a good six to 24 months. I would say before I actually felt like I could run without feeling like I lost a hammer fight. Oh, wow. That, that that gives hope, right? I mean, six to (laughs) six to 24 months. That's, that's terrible. I want it like, I want it like six miles and I want to be good. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but that's what I was getting at is that it, it takes time, right? You got to build that up and, and it's just, it, it's hard. Well, well, for me, it's like, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm watching some stuff about runners and stuff and looking at some of the mechanics of how you're supposed to run. I realized recently I've been running wrong my whole life. You know, like whenever I run, I overextend my feet. And apparently you're when you're running, what I've heard is you're supposed to almost be like gliding and you're supposed to put your land your feet like under your hips. So that you can pull yeah. back. Is that right? So I have not been yeah. doing that. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, and I have very flat feet too. So I'm like, well, that's, you know, I, I've just been, you know, just putting my feet out like the longest strides I can, you know, so I've been doing it wrong my whole life. And now I'm like, okay, well, if, if I learn how to do it run right, maybe it will be more enjoyable experience. <laughs> not at the start, but it'll get there quicker. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I, I was the same. I had 
the running shoe store, give me the big structured motion control shoes. And all it incentivized me to do was like stomp harder on my feet and put my feet way out in front of me because, Oh, I got this big shoe. That's going to absorb padding. Yeah. Yeah. This huge amount of padding. Perfect. Well, the running store person said I needed them and that they're the best. So yeah, $200 says they're right. And it was that like 20, it was six months before I actually started feeling like I'm not going to die, but it was a good 24 months until I figured out what you're talking about. And then when I learned, Oh, you should be more like, yeah, gliding, almost like bouncing from one foot to the next landing under your center of, of your mass. So yeah, under your hip, uh, then I had to relearn how to run and it's all a whole bunch of new muscles, mostly in your lower leg and your calf. And then my legs were on fire, like freaking <laughs> fire. Yeah. Learning how to do that because they hadn't been used in 28 years because they'd been in shoes <laughs> yeah. in these big fancy shoes. So yeah, there's so much that we we're just taken away from like our natural way of moving and our natural way of exercising that when it comes time for you guys or me to actually take up a Spartan race or triathlon or whatever it is, it's so much harder for us because society has kind of buggered us up. And then as adults, like, all right, here, go move. Like you were evolved to move. Like, Oh, geez. Kind of forgot how to do that. Yeah. It's like you sit at a desk all day, every day. And then it's just like you just kind of atrophy and your hips start to hurt and everything else. And just that getting up and moving around is extremely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's going to feel like hell at the start, because like you say, with the sitting at a desk that shortens the front of your body, your hip flexors, your chest, that all gets tight. And then everything in your back, your butt, your glutes, your lats, all of those stabilizer muscles, those are all almost asleep and turned off, don't really know how to fire. And then it's like, all right, go and do something that's supposed to be glute centric and go for a run. Like, well, I haven't used that besides just sitting on my ass for the last, <laughs> in my case, like 28 years. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's painful. It sucks. No wonder it hurts because we're just not wired for it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier was, you know, in regards to like motivation and kind of setting that goal for yourself, you said, uh, you know, do something that you're, you're not t- totally sure that you might be able to even do, like, you know, there's 50% chance you might not be able to do it. Have you ever, uh, obviously you sounds like you've probably done that yourself. Have you ever gone into a race and you just were like, this is, this is not like, this is not what happened today. <laughs> uh, not so much with a race. Uh, I took a very calculated approach to building up races yeah. where I spent quite a number of years focusing on sprint races before I started building up. And that focus on sprint races took away a ton of variables yeah. so that I could really just learn how to train. Mm-hmm. So anytime I jumped up a distance in race, it was fairly manageable. I didn't really know how the day was going to go, but I knew that I would be able to complete the day. Yeah. There was, however, a couple of marathon swims that I specifically chose these marathon swims because I didn't know if I would be able to complete it. And the first one was in 2014. I decided to swim 27 kilometers, roughly about 
15 or 16 miles uh, in open water, nonstop. Ocean, uh, ocean or lake? Lake. Lake. Okay. And it was, uh, it was something that I jumped in the water and legitimately didn't know if I was going to be able to finish and ended up finishing. And then I did it again about three years later with a 37 kilometer, uh, roughly about 22, 23 mile open water river swim through our entire city. And I think it's still to this day, uh, the longest open water swim in Manitoba history. But when we did that, uh, there were three of us that did it. One didn't finish Mm -hmm. and it was the fittest guy of the three of us. And even though all three of us had done big open water swims before, you still show up on that day with something like that. Yeah. Not knowing if you're going to finish. We'd all done the training. We'd all accomplished big open water swims before, but yeah, one guy had to pull out and then he had to come back three months later and, and do it again. Um, but yeah, that was, those both were ones that were like, shit, like, like two weeks ahead of time, starting to lose sleep about it. Like wondering if I can possibly do it. Yeah. And that is so yeah. far. That, that is, is a long ways. Really far. It's a long, it, it, yeah. It's a long day. <laughs> it was super I would just be like backstroking just like half the time and just like, okay, stay alive. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. We all did them in wetsuits. And when you do the training for an open water swim like that and you get to the day, it essentially feels like a walk. And if you went for a nine hour walk, mm-hmm you'd feel about the same as that nine hour swim that I did. The thing is you just got to train your body to swim so much and just eat throughout the day completely. So it's like, I could have done it for three days, but how did you eat in the water? Did you have have like stopping points or how how did you, we would stop every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. We had support boats and they would stop every 30 minutes and just kind of come in front of us so that we knew it was time to eat uh-huh. and they'd hand us some food, take some food, chill out for a few seconds, keep going. We just treading water or could you like rest on the boat? You could rest on the boat because it wasn't the second we put on wetsuits, it wasn't an official open water swim. Okay. So you could put your hands on the boats, but mm-hmm. we didn't want to be like total jerks. Yeah. There was, however, talking about the nervous poops. So this is a funny story. So the second open water swim, the two guys that I was with were way better swimmers than me. They swam ahead of me because it was so cold. They couldn't wait for me when we'd meet up every 30 minutes. So they swam ahead of me and they were about 40 minutes ahead of me at one point. And one of the guys, he goes, geez, I got I a poop. So he did hang off the back of the boat <laughs> with his wetsuit down, pooped in the water, got his wetsuit back up, takes a few strokes and then puts his head up and goes, <laughs> Taryn has to swim through that. <laughs> just, just in time for you to come up through it. Hopefully it's not yeah. a floater. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I hope it's that kind of show that you guys run here. Well, <laughs> well you're talking about uh, freezing cold water. You're not talking about Caribbean, you know, nice warm water. You're ta- The water you're swimming in is pretty cold. Sounds like. This one was, yeah. yeah. It went from about 62 degrees Fahrenheit like two days before to 52 degrees Fahrenheit the day of. And that's why the third guy ended up pulling out because he was he was too fit. 
uh, didn't have enough body fat. I have a problem <laughs> problem with. Um, he just has no body fat. So uh-huh. with 10k left, he was hypothermic, and you just shut down. Oh wow, jeez, that's crazy, man. I know that they do do races uh, from Alcatraz uh, across yeah. the bay, and uh, that would be pretty crazy because there's lots of currents and it's open water. Yeah, Sharks. yeah, that one's pretty wild. Yeah, that's. So that one, I think I want to say it's like three miles or maybe it's three K. I can't remember, which would be about 1.8 miles. That one is yeah, super current crazy. I've heard of people that are swimming fully straight and know they're swimming straight. And then somebody comes and like swims into them backwards because the person is so turned around. Oh, wow. Yeah. That one's pretty intense. The big one with the sharks that people have to worry about out by San Francisco is from the Farallon islands in. I think that's the big one that there was a documentary on that some open water swimmer did. And it's like it's super cold and there's sharks and the currents are going the wrong way. Um, yeah. Every, both times I did those marathon swims, I'm like, never again. Um, <laughs> but now I live by the ocean. I'm like, huh. wonder how far that Island. Is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like, don't think about it. Don't, don't even measure it. <laughs> bring it, bring that. a support boat. And just see if you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy that went on the, off the coast of Miami and he went, and went inside one of those bubbles, one of those inflatable oh. bubbles. And he like tried to no. make his way to Cuba or something like that or across <laughs> the, I think it was actually across the Atlantic, but he only made it like two or three miles out. And then he had to stop because <laughs> the coast guard picked him up. <laughs> no way. So yeah. was he was like, he was in one of those inflatable, like, running bubbles yeah like, yeah it was a he wasn't it was an inflatable running bubble so he was oh, inside he was of it like and he was like running was, but like, like the wind was blowing and he got way off course and then they had to call the coast guard to, to come and get him a couple of miles off shore pick up women doing that, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> i think he was married his wife was like see you later yeah, yeah she yeah, probably dropped okay. him off and said please don't come back <laughs> i don't even want to be associated with you bye <laughs> So you've done a lot of these different races and, and uh, endurance events. Do you have any like pre-race or pre-game rituals that you that you do? Not really. No. Um, like I have a routine that I try to eat four hours before the race. Um, what do you World class peer and um, have kind of got my eating routine into a, a place that. I have to go to the bathroom a lot before the race, not because it's nervous, but because I'm like, I got to get it all out before I start. So it's like four hours of eat and then spend the next four hours kind of just lazing around, waiting for the race to start going in and out of the porta potty a bunch of times. (laughs) Yeah. Not not much more impressive than that. What do you eat for? What, what, what is like that energy filled breakfast that you're eating before you go? I always have a, uh, an overnight oat mixture with Yukan powder. Yukan is, it's a really modified corn that ends up making this carb actually digest super slow, like a protein almost. So it's still a carb, but you don't get like a big blood sugar spike and then a crash after. So the complex carbs from the oatmeal and then the Yukan, you get like eight hours worth of energy from that. And I still do have the race energy, but I just don't want to start the day with like a bam, bunch of honey and like shoot my blood sugar up and then be crashing before the race has even started. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, it, it's it's kind of cool just to listen to, to someone who's had a bunch of these different experiences. And just I, I'm sure that you've had tons of stories and seen some pretty interesting things along some of these races that you've done. Um, whether it's, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody crash on bikes or anybody that's you know, gotten in trouble while they were swimming and cramped up and, and needed help or, you know, have you ever seen any kind of emergency or anything while you're out in a race? The emergencies were more like bodily functions. We're really focusing on bodily functions here today. <laughs> I'm super glad about that because I love a good bathroom joke. So one of my best friends who wasn't a best friend at the time, he was in a race with me and He's a really loud, laughing, like boisterous kind of guy, but in the most loving, friendly, jovial way imaginable. His name is Dave Lipshin, and everyone just knows him as Super Dave. And if anyone ever has the opportunity to meet Super Dave, meet Super Dave. He's just a brilliant human. So I'm in a race, and I hear somebody laughing in behind me. <laughs> and he comes up. And he's having a red gel and I didn't know him. And he just goes, Hey man, I'm having a red gel. I'm going to be ripping into T2. Come on with me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know you, but sure, let's do it. And then he just flies into T2. He's ahead of me. He gets off the bike, goes onto the run. And the whole time he's just giggling and laughing. Cause that's the kind of guy that he is. And I'm like, Holy geez, this guy is like, he doesn't have a care in the world. He's the most amazing triathlete ever. So he <laughs> runs into the run course around a bush and, and I come out and I'm like, Oh man, I got to follow this guy. He really knows what he's doing. <laughs> I turn the corner and there Shortcut. he is throwing up. Oh gosh. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, it's the red gel. <laughs> oh, I told you it was good. Oh the, gosh. The, 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 the laughing covers up the sound of the cries. <laughs> The laugh, yeah, and he apparently I passed. <laughs> like, whoa, that just got real. And he wiped his mouth and ran, ran the race, finished fourth. Oh my so goodness! So there was that, and then in Challenge Roth, which was an Ironman distance race, it was the first Ironman I'd done, and I'd heard about how everyone in Ironman has GI issues and bathroom issues and you hear people doing like the walk of shame with poop running down their oh legs. Oh my gosh. What's well, a long race? Head. I mean, you do an Ironman that's going to take, I mean, what's typical hours for that? Yeah. Like 11 to 12 hours. Yeah. For most I mean, people on, on average. So yeah, you got to go huh. and you're exercising and you're eating. So bad things happen. And I thought it was like you're eating gel <laughs> thing here or there with, yeah, like maybe the odd red gel issue. And I started the run and like three kilometers in. So we're talking like 15 minutes into the run. It was like a scene from platoon, just like people keeled over people throwing up everywhere. People running out of the bushes, getting like their tri suit back on because they had to go poop themselves. And it was like every 40 seconds, there was something like oh, this. Wow. I yeah. had no idea that this was what Iron Man was. <laughs> I had a relatively good day um, and didn't have any issues like that. So it was three and a half hours of me running through carnage, just absolute a sea of carnage of people on the side of the road. And that's 
the sport that we love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's kind of weird for listeners and stuff. You know, they might be like, yeah, it's kind of weird to talk about, but it's actually really cool. Cause you get to see like the intricacies of, you know, they don't show that stuff on TV. I never knew that that was a thing. No. Yeah. And so you get like this, this insider view of something like that. And, and that kind of goes to the next point of it's difficult. There's, there's all these different things that you have to, you know, try to try to key in your diet so that you're, you're, going, you know, eating enough, you know, uh, uh, fiber and stuff like that before the race so that you're going, but not too much. You're going in the race. I mean, there's like a whole science to building this, this, you know, entire, uh, you know, athlete and this entire experience, which I think is awesome. Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's much less intimidating once you get into it, but there is a lot to figure out, uh, I mean, we've spent three years trying to make our app simple enough that people could actually effectively get in and not need a Bunsen burner and a like science for you do it yourself kit that people could just open the app and it did all the things for them. But it's like three years of work to try to make it so that all of this complex stuff can be simple. Because at the point that, that I'm at with like, 10, 12 years under my belt, it seems really simple, but I forget sometimes that the people who are just getting started might be overwhelmed by it. So with our books, with our podcast, with our YouTube channel, with our app, we're trying to take all these things that are super complicated, make them simple to avoid some, maybe not all of the disasters, because it is a hard thing to do. Like, even if you know what you're doing, there can be disasters. Even pros have just awful, awful moments. People that set world records feel like they're going to die throughout it and want to drop out of the race. Yeah. And that's okay. And that kind of leads to my next question is how do you and other endurance athletes build that mental toughness uh, to, to, to take you through the race? I mean, what are you thinking about? What is, what is keeping you? I mean, mental toughness is probably the majority of the, of, of the fight. There. When everything hurts, when you feel like you're going to die, what's what? how do you keep going? It's easier to get to the finish line than it is to go home. The A lot of the mental toughness is built in the training. If you've done the training well. There were runs when I was training for my first Ironman that or actually we'll, we'll back it up and say the swims, the, the marathon swims that I did, because this is a, a much easier example. Going through the average master's swim, like adult swim groups that are 60 minutes long, you get 20 minutes into it and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to go for another 40 minutes. This is really hard. A 60 minute swim feels like a lot. And then maybe you join a really super duper master swim group. And it's like 90 minute swims. And my God, do those feel crazy long? Well, when I started training for those marathon swims, 90 minutes felt like a really, really long swim. But by the time we had got to the marathon swim, 90 minutes was actually our cool down. That was our our cool down, a relaxed 90 minutes to cool down from the first four hours of swimming. And there's actually a clip in our YouTube video where we did the 37 kilometer swim, where my friend Jacques was talking to my friend, Pat, who was the guy that was thinking about pulling out and did end up pulling out. And Jacques said to Pat, just 10 K left. And Pat actually went, okay, 10 K got it. 
as if like that was nothing. So the training just, it really changes your mindset for what hard is and you should be getting to a race. Yeah. Maybe a little bit apprehensive, but not so unprepared that actually doing the task is hard. Yeah. So the mental toughness I've always found came from the training and the training should be designed in a way that you're getting little wins along the way that you did a big long interval and maybe it was above the race pace that you think you wanted to do. So then when you come into the race, you're like, Oh, I did something that was harder than this. Now I just need to chill out, go a little bit easier. Yeah. I've always found by the time I got to the race, the race was kind of just like the cherry on top that the hard work was actually in the training. Yeah. Now when you're actually racing or when you're swimming, are you thinking about the the task that you're doing? Like one, two, you know, are you counting? Are you, are you, or are you just distracting yourself thinking about something else? There's a lot of counting. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of counting in the, the marathon swims. I counted to 10, 5,000 times. Um, is it the number of strokes you, until you take a breath or, or is that? Uh, just, I, I don't know. I don't okay. know. I just want to do something. Uh-huh. Um, same within the marathon run of the Ironman that I did. Um, in the shorter distance races, it's more like your brain is much more concerned with riding the fine line of fast enough, but not so fast that you're going to blow up. So it's this constant every 10 seconds, this little calculation of, okay, is, can I do this? Can I not do this? Do I, do I need a little bit of like Coke or Red Bull to keep me going? But then that gets a little bit dicey because then you get on the Red Bull train, you got to always stay on the Red Bull train so you don't crash. So like every 10 seconds, it's that riding that fine line of blowing up. The longer, I would say six plus hour kind of races, those are much, much more controlled. And it is more like, just kind of going through the motions slow enough that, you know, you aren't going to slow down. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, and, and, and I like what you said too, about, uh, that the training is really, um, where you learn to suffer through the majority of that so that when you get to the day, it's, it's, you've done it before. It's almost like, you know, it's, it's not going to be this thing that's this big scary beast because you you already know that beast because you've already trained for it you've already practiced Mm. it um how has uh how has thinking about that and i think that can be applied to more than just like physical training and and endurance how has endurance training and competing made made you a better version of yourself That's actually a really interesting question because every single morning I do some journaling. And one of the things that I journal every single day, it's the only thing that's consistently written the same way every single day is that I want our business to help 5,000 athletes that are using our app um, be better versions of themselves every single day. And then the second part is through the structure and health that endurance sports provides. And the structure is a big thing because the structure of a well-designed training plan, it's supplemental to your life. It's not grinding. It's not beating you down. It's not beating you up so that you're always sore. It makes you feel more rejuvenated, more alive, 
more challenged so that you're building little bits of confidence where you're accomplishing workouts that maybe you didn't think that you could do. And then you go and do it. And then all of a sudden you're a little bit more confident. And in my case, that allowed me to start a business that allowed me to leave a job that I wasn't happy with. Um, That allowed me to take a lot more risks that I didn't think I would have 10 years ago. And then the health side of it is that a well-designed training plan does make you healthier. It makes you better balanced. It makes your mental health a little bit better. There needs to be a really big caveat to that, that a poorly designed training plan can do the exact opposite and beat you up and make you feel shitty and lead to bad mental health issues and bad digestive health issues and um, bad musculoskeletal health. And like it can do the exact opposite of what most people are trying to do. So having a well-designed training plan can make you a better version of yourself um, in so many ways. I wouldn't have any opportunities that we've had if it wasn't for those first few races where I wasn't doing it because I needed to make a YouTube video. I was just doing it to challenge myself. Yeah, that's good, man. I, I, I like I, I like what what you said. I think that that your goal there to, to help these, was it 5,000 athletes? Is that right? Yeah. That's like our, that's our next step kind of goal. That's awesome. And like, Hey, you said you write down that in your journal every single day. Uh, we do something similar, uh, my goals every, every single day, even if they're the same, you know, just uh, keep them top of mind. So I, I love that. And I like that. Well, I'm intrigued. What do you have? Well, uh, you if, know, you wanna, if you want to share any of them, well, you know, one of them is uh, to be the best father, uh, husband, uh, and uh, a sibling, you know, brother, or, or uh, that I can be, uh, that, that I could be. That's one of them. And then, uh, you know, some of them are about the about the podcast. Yeah, I, think, I think one of our that Jared and I at the at the beginning of this year, we we had some different people on, and we had a couple episodes about they were really centered around around goals. And obviously we, we each have our own personal goals, but then we have kind of, you know, uh, podcast goals and everything's like that. If this is where we want to see things grow to or business goals or whatever it may be. And, and we've, we've kind of both tried to adapt that of constantly every day saying these goals or, or, or thinking about or writing down these goals to the point of like, we're going to get there. It's just like helps you reorient yourself every single day on this is what's important. Like whether that's being a dad or, or for me, it's like, I want to do this investment and I want to keep this in front of my top of mind, or I want to do something every day that's going to help me mentally, spiritually, and physically, you know, these types of things that, uh, for me, it just helps me recenter on what my goals are, my overarching goals are every day so that I can accomplish that. And so, um, I'm actually really excited about the new year. Uh, I'm always excited about the new year and, and creating new goals and new, uh, new year's, resolutions and stuff. I know a lot of people don't like it because they don't stick to their news or resolutions, but if you stick to it, uh, then it's actually really good. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, I think it's important to do both. I think new year's resolutions are great, but if it's the only time you, you actually do some introspective work, like good luck actually <laughs> reaching those goals. But if like you say, you're writing things down in your journal and 20 pages back, you've got your new year's resolution, then it's easier to check in. And, and I found daily, or, I mean, I'd be joking if I said I did it every day, but like probably every second day or four or five times a week, 
doing that journaling of like, what are the three things I can do today that are going to get me closer to whatever goal I have, whether it's the new year's goal or the next three month goal or the 5,000 people goal. Like, yeah, I think without those like really frequent check-ins, it's hard to get there. Yeah. In fact, uh, for, for me, um, I have a planner and, and in my planner, I printed off like a checklist of every single week of the entire year and of each week of the things that I need, I want to do that week. And then there, I have so weekly goals and then I have monthly goals, uh, like four or five monthly goals. And then I have quarterly goals. Uh, and then, so every month I'm just like, okay, what did I, did I get these things done this month? And, and if it's like two weeks before, like a week before the end of the month, I'm like, Oh, I need to do these things. You know, I need to spend time with my kids, like do a special night with each of my kids. I need to, you know, do this or, 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 or try to, Network was like one of my ones is like network was what network with someone new every month. So I'm like, oh, I got to find someone, you know, uh, to do this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it's written down. I have yeah. to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and the, and the podcast kind of helps with that, too, because it, it encourages us to reach out and to meet tons of new people. Yeah. Which is, which is beneficial. Podcasts are the best. Hey? I, it's I a great ex- it's it- a great selfish excuse. <laughs> well, yeah. Like if you sat down next to somebody at a wedding and you start peppering them with questions, they'd be like, get away from me, you weirdo. Yeah. But you do it on a podcast and they're like, Ooh, let me tell you about myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's so funny. Cause I like to talk kind of deep conversations with people and really get to understand what, what their life is like, what they hold, what they value. And, and just like also their experiences, like you're talking about us today. And so you don't really get a chance to do that when you're out in the wild with folks, cause they're like, why are you asking me these deep questions? You know? Yeah. But on a podcast just setting about the weather, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Taryn, tell us a little bit about, uh, Taryn's, uh, motive method. Yeah. So our motive method is based on the belief that every person deserves the ability to challenge themselves in a healthy, balanced way that makes them a better version of themselves without the detrimental effects commonly associated with doing so and without having to go through a gatekeeper because historically it's been like, well, you have to go and join a club or you've got to get a coach and these things cost a lot of money and it's a big impediment. We want to build products and services that allow people to do it themselves. So if they say, Hey, I want to run an ultra, but I don't want to talk to anyone because that's going to put myself out there and I don't have thousands of dollars to do it. We want to create products for those people. The healthy and balanced approach, the motive method is based on four principles and it's to go long, be strong, enhance your systems and enhance your mind. So just building on those going long, that's doing those things that challenge you that you're not quite certain of because that fear builds structure and then that structure builds health. The be strong is that the only thing that is universal in all aspects of athleticism, whether it's endurance sports or football or badminton or curling, is that your body needs to be strong to withstand life. And this is something that's really ignored in a lot of sports, that strength training is kind of like this thing that you maybe do if you really want to step it up. No, I think everyone needs to do strength training. And then enhancing your systems is making sure that you're not doing endurance training that is detrimental to your digestive system or detrimental to your hormonal system. You can design these things in a way that really 
damages all of these other systems and only makes your heart and lungs healthy. But we want to actually design our training in a way that is supplemental, that people are getting healthier, like truly healthier from their training. And then the enhance your mind is, again, you can design training by setting goals and beating yourself up in such a way that it isn't actually good for your mental health, that people just end up in a terrible situation with their mental health. But you can actually just with some really small changes, design your training in a way that it enhances your mental health and it's supplemental to your, your life. And that's really what we want, that you can challenge yourself without being a broken, injured, 40 something year old that never wants to do it again. We all want to be healthier. We all want to be studly and healthy when we're 80 years old. And um, I think how we approach things is very different than the traditional culture that endurance sports has been created around about nothing but suffering and, and wanting it bad enough to get up at 3am and like, these things are not good for people's health or health mentally or physically. And we want to change that. I, I love the vision. I love the vision of it's, it's brutal, but it, it can be fun. It can be beneficial. It can be healthy right? To, to, to push yourself. And, mm. um, you know, I, I just, I, 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 I like the vision. I like the method. Yeah. We, yeah. we have a couple of athletes that are on our website, that they're in our podcasts. Um, we feature them on our ambassador signup page, Kevin and Lauren from our triathlon journey on Instagram. They're not elite athletes. They're out there just there to accomplish it and experience the day, but they're doing it together and they change workouts and do whatever they want. Like they don't use our strength workouts. They use their own strength workouts. And I am a hundred percent cool with that because they know that those things are going to maybe not make their time super elite, but they're going to have a hell of a time crossing that finish line together. And I'm all for that. And that's, I think, what really needs to be more present in endurance sports, that it's not all about, well, what time did you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or valuing yourself off, did you PB every single time you stepped up to a start line? Because people really don't care 10 years after they're done these races if they PB'd, but they care about if they did it in a fun way and enjoyed it and maybe did it with a friend. These are things that I think we've got to adopt a little bit more. Well, I think kind of what you said at the beginning that, you know, when you, when you did a, 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 the initial triathlon you did, you told somebody that you're doing a triathlon and they were like, oh, how far is it? You know, 300 meter swim. And they're like, whoa, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, it's not like, oh, well, how, how long did you do it in or whatever? It's, I guess maybe the layman is just kind of like, oh, awesome. You finished. Oh, congratulations. You know, it's almost like an accomplishment, not so much about the specific timing of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll ask you guys, do you have any idea what my half Ironman personal best time is? Uh, I actually I glanced at your YouTube about me page. And so it was on there. I think it was, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to remember which ones were which, cause I saw Olympic and they had Ironman right next to it. I don't know. Was it like okay, four well, hours and something, four hours and 30 minutes or something? Okay. So here's a good example. I spent one year killing myself 
to go from a 436 personal desk to a 428? You don't know. <laughs> nobody knows. Like, I you're like, know. You're like, eight minutes, you know? But no, yeah, but nobody cares. <laughs> and and really, do I care? Like, if that's the fastest time that I do, do I care that it's eight minutes faster? Not really. When you did then, it mot- motivated you probably. I, re- I really did then, but it was also a year that really undid my health because I pushed so hard for those eight minutes. And I think that sort of thing needs to stop where people are willing to sacrifice all their body systems for eight friggin' minutes that nobody else really cares about. Yeah. Unless you get paid millions of dollars. To do <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. Unless exactly. Unless this is your, your job, which in my case, it actually is <laughs> like, um, but even at that, like, unless you're a pro athlete where eight minutes is really going to make a difference, which let's face it, 99.9% of us aren't. Yeah. Just chill the hell out and enjoy it a little bit more <laughs> and take care of your body. Yeah. Life, life lesson. Just chill out and enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love that. Well, hey, speaking of life lessons here, we, we're kind of towards, nearing towards the end here. But before we let you go, we want to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, and that's about their personal creed. Uh, a personal a creed is a set of beliefs that guide someone's actions. Uh, this could be, you know, obviously your creed is pretty, it can be large and there's lots of aspects, aspects to it, but we ask you to share a piece of that, maybe a mantra or a quote or some kind of life advice, uh, with us in our audience, uh, that, that you live by. It's changed a lot in the last few years. It used to be to really challenge yourself, really push yourself to see what you're made of. And having gone through that tough time of, yes, I was doing faster times as an endurance athlete two years ago than I'll probably ever do. But I was doing it to the detriment of my overall health. And really, when I look back on it, it wasn't worth it. I could have gone into those races and been just as happy accomplishing the race 20 minutes slower, 10 minutes slower, and being a lot healthier for it, maybe doing it with a friend, um, doing it in a more balanced way. And that's sort of the biggest thing that I want to impart to anyone who is approaching endurance sports in any sort of fashion, besides a pro who has to make their living at it, we should all be approaching it with a very balanced focus. And I think that we should approach life with a balanced focus. I think that we should balance it with, as you say, spirituality with whatever that means for you, your family, with your overall health, with your work, that all of these things need to be in balance. And when things start getting out of balance, it's never going to be good for you. Nobody ever sits on their deathbed and it's very cliche to use this as an example, but nobody says, I wish I worked harder. Nobody says, I wish I went faster in that half marathon. Nobody says, I wish I had bigger biceps. They say, I wish I had a better relationship with my family or was more connected to myself spiritually and more present. And I think we have to really, really take this not just as a cliche, but as fact. We knew this hundreds of years ago, and we've got away from it in the last couple centuries. Yeah. I, I think that the part, I think that when thinking about like on your deathbed, I think a lot of people might think that, you know, I don't want to leave anything on the, on the table kind of, a, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to just 
give it all out. Um, but like, I like your message is that like, give it out in a balanced way. Don't give it out so much that you're unbalanced in other areas of your life. Cause then you'll be like, Oh yeah, I shaved eight minutes off that iron man, but I didn't get to spend time with my, you know, with my wife or with my kids, or I didn't go to that Christmas party that I, I wanted to go to. And so being unbalanced is where you just, you know, you get off kilter. I, I like that message. Yeah. Or, or even like, you know, Oh, I made a, I made a billion dollars, but at the detriment of my family, or it could be, you know, I didn't, it could be the exact opposite of that. It didn't provide my family with enough of a legacy because I was lazy or whatever else. And so I just, I love that, that idea of, of balance and, and everything has its place and, um, you know, has its distance of, of what personally you can do. Mm. So, well, I want to use maybe just a practical example that I think people really need to, to think about that. I think about a lot. Let's say our app, for example, is successful. Yeah. And we could, on the one hand, sell our app for, let's just say, like $40 million. Our current shareholders make some money. I make good money, but it's not like getting on the cover of Forbes magazine kind of money. It's yeah. just very much like, hey, this is life changing money to the people who are involved in it. And it means that we did a good thing for our, our customers, but we're not all getting like, screw everyone kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, like who is that screw everyone kind of money for if to do it, you have to work so much harder and take on so much more risk and so much more stress. Is it really worth it? Yeah. And I think the general culture is to go out of balance with all of these things. And it's not enough to have a nicely successful business that maybe you sell for a few million dollars. And maybe you just make a nice living for yourself. You have to be on the freaking cover of Forbes magazine or it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. And that means that there's like one person every single year. There's one Zuckerberg or, or one Elon Musk that wins and everyone else is a loser. Like that's, that's such a strange thing. I think just with that as an example, we've got to take a look at like maybe enough is enough for us. And I think balanced and a healthy approach and making sure that everything is supported is how we need to look at life. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Love that. Um, so T Taryn, where can, uh, where can our listeners find you? What, what, what is the, the best path to direct them to, to be able to find your content? Uh, you could search Taryn's motive method and that would pop up our YouTube page, our podcast, um, mymotive.com and motive is M O T T I V. That's our businesses page. Um, or if you want to go a little bit old school, we've kind of gone away from this because we've broadened out to more balance and all endurance sports triathlon, Terran, pretty much anywhere will pop up. Um, but I'm just not using that handle anymore. So, yeah. um, if you know that you're looking for Terran's motive method, but searching for triathlon, Terran, I'll still probably pop up. If Very you good. type it, you type it in Google, you can't miss it. <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have to fight for Taryn. It's not like I was triathlon Steve <laughs> or triathlon <laughs> Carl. Like, nah, John Smith triathlon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll definitely link those, uh, your website and your YouTube channel, which has so many great videos, by the way, for anybody trying to get into the space or just 
building mental toughness or what have you. Uh, we'll, we'll put those in, the, those in the show notes. But you know, wanted to say, Taryn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. What great you've shared some great insights with us, uh, and uh, you've motivated me to maybe uh, see what see what kind of options there are around this area to do a, a triathlon or at least maybe a biathlon, something like that. So, thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, everybody listening out there, Taryn, you and us as well, let's build that creed together. All right. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, guys.